welcome to the latest edition of At The Flicks, your one-stop shop for movie news, interviews and reviews. In our year-end show, the one where the contributors discuss 2021 and where we try to focus on cinema and stop Jeff talking politics. You mean stop talking bollocks and holding quizzes. <laughs> uh, we've already had listener comments asking why isn't there an end of year quiz. Sad that there isn't. Never mind. Move on. <laughs> Greetings and salutations. I'm Jeff. Hi, my name is Graham. Hi, my name is Neil. I am Phil, and when I'm not on At The Flicks, you can read more about my film tastes on Phil Bear blog at wordpress.com. Hi, I'm Darren, and other than my time at The Flicks, you can follow me on Twitter at DazzleLovesMovie, or you can read my blogs at halfguarded.com, and also look out for my end-of-year special when I'll be writing about my top 11 movies of the year. I hope everyone listening had a great Christmas. I certainly got a few surprise presents. And here's a late one for all of you, our top five films of the year. Yes, each contributor will give their view on the year that was 2021, followed by their top five films. So that there is no fighting as to who goes first, it is going to be in alphabetical order, which means Darren goes first. Which means I'm last, I suppose. Thanks, Jeff. Hey, Phil, you should know, if I'd organised this, Neil would always be last. Thank you. By that time, everyone would be asleep. <laughs> Not if we convince listeners our conspiracy theory is true. Neil is Bodger Johnson. Oh, thank you. Don't you start? <laughs> I didn't write this, honest, Neil. Can we go back to last month? I quite enjoyed that one. <laughs> I'm sorry, Bodger. <laughs> uh, Neil. <laughs> okay, guys, far be it from me to be the voice of reason, but can I talk about my year in film, please? Go for it, Darren. <laughs> You're up first. I mean, just to put you in the um, in position of where I am with my film going at the moment, I have been going to the cinema where, whenever it's been open um, during the lockdowns. At the moment, I'm on 50 films that I've uh, seen at, at the cinema, which consider the fact that they were closed for about three months. So even although it's down on what I normally would see, when I'd see about like about 115 films on average, I'm still doing a pretty decent amount. I have to say... I am still not 100% comfortable going in a theatre with other people. It's actually resulted how I go about going to the cinema because I tend to work it out so that I'm going to the cinema either in the morning or midday, waiting till the uh, the last minute to book my tickets when I'm at the theatre so that I can see the map of where everyone's sat and try and, <laughs> and try and get a seat as far away from other people as possible. The only times I've been to the cinema in the evening... I, I is, think that's a good idea, Darren. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I mean, the only time that I've been to the cinema in the evening is if I've gone to see a really obscure movie that I know that hardly anybody else will be going to. I've sort of drifted away from the um, this necessity I used to have about seeing blockbuster movies on the first night. I found that that's less of a necessity now. You know, I, I don't mind waiting maybe like a few days or even a week until I've got a day off so I can actually go there like early and avoid other people. As dedicated film lover I am, I am still going to see as many films as uh, as I can and, and that I want to see. But I, the whole thing 
about taking precautions is something that it is there with me. And you have to say you're going to the cinema is pretty much the only thing that I'm doing with other people. I've yet to go to the theatre. I've yet to go to a sporting event. I've not been to a concert, although I have booked a, a ticket for my first concert in March, if that goes ahead. The COVID thing has changed how I, I go to the cinema. Even so, I've seen some absolutely cracking movies this year. When I was doing prep for my uh, Top 11 article, I was amazed at how difficult I was finding it to actually sort of narrow the list down. And part of that is not just what films I've been to the cinema, but also the amount of movies I've seen on streaming. One thing as as well is the amount of foreign movies that are getting more exposure on on streaming, on Netflix. I mean, films like White Tiger, a little sci-fi movie I found called Space Sweepers, Oxygen, comedies like The Trip. There's some really, really good stuff out there. And uh, another thing that I've got more into the habit of is actually renting movies. Probably more than half of the movies that I've chosen for my dashes this year have been uh, films that I've rented, films like Rides of Justice, The Columnist. As weird as things still are, as, as far as movies go, this year I have really enjoyed it. And one of the things as well is it's been a great year Finally getting to see a lot of those movies were postponed or potentially cancelled. You know, the Marvel movies are back. James Bond is back, which, you know, to me was like a real... That was a real moment for me, going to see the James Bond film, which was the first movie that actually got cancelled due to COVID. Films like Dune and, uh, you know, there's still some more that we've, um, we're still waiting for, the Mission Impossible movie, Top Gun, stuff like that. But we're finally getting through to, through to those movies. And it's going to be interesting when, when we've got those, you know, what, what movies are going to be coming out after. Because I, I do think that films are going to change because the revenue is um, changing. You know, where, you know audiences are, are down. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, what the movies start to look like in the, in the next few years. But uh, generally speaking, you know, it's, it has been, a, you know, an interesting year for, for movies some really good stuff out there and, and I've absolutely enjoyed myself. But the one thing I will say, I don't know what you guys think about this, is lately films seem to be really long. Even the good ones, you know, because it used to be that, you know, most films around about two hours and occasionally you will get something which will go into like the two hour and a half hour films. But these would normally be like your really big event movies. But now it seems to be like, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the, the, the times for, for movies and almost everything is like two and a half hours. You know, the Spider-Man movie, Eternals, you know, West Side Story. It just seems to be that it just, I, I don't know, you know, what the, the reason is for this, but it does seem to be that, you know, films are getting longer. Generally speaking, I'm, I'm just glad we've still got films to go to see. Yeah, absolutely. The biggest takeaway for me from what you're saying, Darren, is... 2021 has changed your viewing habits. Yeah. My big big thing used to be I would just go to see films whenever I wanted and I would go and see like three films in a day sometimes, four movies even. But now I'm being sort of more sort of selective. I think the, the most I would get would be like, you know, two films in a day because I don't want to be there in the evening when the rush starts. I, th- I find it hard to think that anybody would be able to sort of go through life and, and it not changing them in some way. No, that's a fair comment, fair assessment. Interesting lineup. So what's your top five in reverse order then? Number five is The Last Jewel uh, by Ridley Scott. 
absolutely epic movie you know worked on so many levels a very exciting movie as well this was one that had everything it had action it had intrigue it had you know a subplot that you could really get your teeth into because it like the best movies are always the ones which are about something more than what is actually happening on the screen a great adventure movie and and i really i really really enjoy enjoyed this one and it's again I mean, we talked about this at the time it doesn't bode well that a film like this couldn't get the interest going or be marketed in a way to get people to see it so number four promising young woman this was a film i absolutely loved it had an amazing look to it it had that sort of like retro 70s grindhouse look to it it had sort of a grindhouse type sort of rev- rape revenge movie plot but it totally turned it on its head and it was one of these films where i was completely second guessed throughout the entire movie because at one point i had i thought i had this character figured out on what it was that she was doing what her intentions were and every time she would basically you, know, you, you thought that she was basically going to do something like you know really evil to, to these people who'd wronged her, but she would completely turn it around. You know, she wasn't like a killer, but even though it was presenting as she might go that way, she wasn't. The ending absolutely flawed me, um, I have to say. And I still, to, to this day, I'm still not sure that I, I, I can get on with the ending. I, I really didn't like how it, it, things turned out for that character. Even though she sort of won in the end, the price she, she had to pay for it, I, I, I really didn't like but again, you know, I thought this was a, a, a wonderful, uh, challenging movie. I absolutely loved it. Yeah, and Carrie Mulligan was brilliant. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. I, I, thought, I thought she was fantastic, and the whole film as well. You know, just the look of it was great. Number three, not that long ago that we talked about this one, Last Night in Soho, um, Edgar Wright movie. <laughs> again, not much more I can add from what I said the other month. Just an absolutely spectacle of a movie. It looked absolutely wonderful. But also, it's just sort of like, you know, a really spooky story. And that even, you know, from the very ending, you weren't sure a bit that you'd seen, like, the entire movie. You know, you didn't, you know, this, this young lass, you're thinking, you know, is she sort of psychic or does she have, you know, some sort of problems? But in any case, this was absolutely a wonderful movie. Absolutely loved it. Edgar at his best. And, yeah, just, just a stunning movie. There's a theme to those three films. Yeah. <laughs> There's a bit of a running theme in your top five so far. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. That, that, that is actually not deliberate either. Um, maybe it goes back to my film studies. No, game. no, no, I know that. Yeah. Just... Yeah, maybe it goes back to my film study games because one of the things that it, it was pretty much very gender studies orientated. So maybe that's uh, rubbed off on me somewhere. Number two is The Suicide Squad, uh, directed by James Gunn. I absolutely loved this movie. Colourful, exciting, really, really violent, really funny. One of the things I think that really got to me about this film was it. This was the one which this was that blockbusters were back. You know, so many films got all the big movies got kept butting back and everything, and this one was sort of like you know this was like okay, let's have fun at the cinema. Let's have a really exciting, silly in places, over the top comic book movie, and and I will. You know, I will go on record. I think this is one of the most comic book movies because a lot of comic book movies they, they don't feel like comic book movies. They've taken comic book characters and worlds and made them palatable to a cinema. This one, to me, felt like it was almost like they'd filmed a comic book and and, and sort of rendered it into live action. 
I thought it was absolutely amazing, completely over the top. Um, you know, the, the the big kaiju character at the end was just so trippy uh, and unbelievable. Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. I, I, I would see uh, Harley Quinn movies every year. You know, I, I absolutely love that character. <laughs> I love her performance of it. But yeah, and this the Suicide Squad. And a thing as well as it was like a throwback to the old Men on the Mission movies. You know, the ones where you knew that not everybody was going to come back alive, that some people were going to get killed. I really hope that they keep going with the Suicide Squad franchise because the great thing about it is you can keep killing characters off and then just keep bringing in more and more characters. I just, I just think there is so much potential in this, but yeah, it was, it was great just to go to a cinema and just to have complete and utter fun again. My big choice, my number one movie. I talked earlier about how I only tended to go on an evening to a film which I knew would be a niche one, and that very few people would go to. This is one that I did, and the reason I did is because they were only showing this film at past nine o'clock. But it was a film that I had to go and see. And it was Censor, which was by, and I'll try to pronounce her name, directed by uh, Prino Bailey Bond. And this was absolutely an amazing movie. I talked about it in my dash. Um, Mark Commode said that he, when he went to see it, he felt that this film was made for him. And it may have been, but it was also made for me. <laughs> Because this this film was everything. It was made in the time when I was first going to uh, the video rental shop, which was a really sort of a big influence on my um, my direction as a film fan. The film is set in that era. It's set in the, the time um, of the, the video store. And it is all about a young woman who she works as a censor. And her job is to watch violent video nasties, as we were called, and rate them recommend cuts and things like that but it through her work she ends up pretty much falling into a story which is pretty much like a video nasty it turns out that her sister went missing in really strange circumstances when she was young she also finds that she's the subject to controversy when it turns out a film that she passed is being blamed for a copycat killing of a young family there's so much in this movie, and it's one of these films that you can. I, I can't wait to see it again because I think there's probably lots of little clues about what the film is about and whether or not all of what's happening is actually in this uh, young woman's head or part of a new role series. It's absolutely an amazing film. If you're a film fan, you should watch it because it's a throwback to a time that was really, really important as, as far as um, uh, film censorship was going on. If you're a fan of horror, you should watch it because it is one of the most freaky horror movies. <laughs> not, ju- not just that it's violent or horrific, but also because it's really unsettling. And I, But I absolutely love this film. And it, it's incredible that we managed to cram so much into this film under 90 minutes. But absolutely an amazing movie and my number one film of the year. I haven't seen it yet and I'll um, certainly pick it up when I can. One of the things that struck me when you spoke about it before and also now, does it have a relationship with Barbarian Sound Studio? Because there you've got a person who's impacted on work that he's doing on a film. And then you've got a censor that's sort of having problems with the work that she's doing. Um, Pretty much, yeah. People who criticise censors, I've always said a lot, is, is how can you, who has to watch these violent movies all day, how come it doesn't affect you 
but you'll deem that it has to be that we there's a general public who would see like well one of these films every so often that we aren't able to watch it but you can and it does sort of address that because you do a sort of wonder at times is she being affected by, by being bombarded by these movies again and again and again or is it that she's actually there's something in her psyche that's actually driven her to seek out this profession because it's so it, you get the impression with the film is that she's on some sort of crusade herself that she's not just a job to her that she's sort of seen herself as sort of like a moral guardian and that is based on the stuff that happened to her sister when she was younger so yeah in, in that sort of respect if that's what you're meaning then yeah you can sort of see her job basically sort of like you know determining um, you know who she is okay as i said it's uh, a film that when it comes out on streaming, it's one I'll be looking for. So uh, that does sound really good. Thank you very much for that. Uh, interesting sum up. Let's go over to Graham. Well, 2021 was the year I went back to the cinema big time and watched more than two films at the cinema. Well, that could be 2018, Graham. Oh, Oh, harsh. Yeah, a bit harsh. Yeah. Are you back on your bitter and twisted medicine again? I don't know. (laughs) No, I just refilled my wine glass. What are you drinking? Something sharp. Yeah, it was a good time. I've um, seen a lot of films, really enjoyed it. It's still not the same. It's still not the same as it was back in 2019. I mean, as a team, we're not. We're still not going to see films together. We we might uh, join up with one other member of the team, but we're not doing our our usual Sunday sort of let's go and see a blockbuster thing and let's go and have a beer afterwards and have a chat. It's still not the social experience I like with the cinema. Mm, so it's it's sort of partly there. But it's not really. It's it feels like, and I said this to somebody the other day. It feels like I'm still going to the cinema during the Blitz. And you would know. <laughs> <laughs> that was well, too only, easy, Jeff. Come on. Only because you told me about it, Jeff. Um, but you know, it seems like I'm darting into the cinema, watching a film, then shooting back home again before nightfall. It's been better than 2020. So my five. Uh, films in reverse order are at so that's it then that's your summing up of the year i, I went I, I went to the cinema more than once exactly <laughs> what, <laughs> what else can you expect no, me to say just go to top five graham really i've yeah, lost you went to see, you went to see five films anyway yeah yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I, we Probably not all at the cinema, Neil. Probably watched them at home. I went and saw at least 40, I think I counted, 43. That's not bad. With lockdown and taking a third of it out. Exactly. I stand corrected. Probably more than you, Jeff. Quite possibly, uh, but then I'm more selective. Is that really selective or lightweight? I don't know which one. Okay. So number five, Graham. Yeah. Okay. Number five is the French Dispatch, which uh, I absolutely loved. Mm. Even though I had to sit among a bunch of pretentious people at a really upmarket cinema just to see it in Cheltenham, were you was... with him, Neil? <laughs> I saw it on my own in the pretentious cinema. Thank you very much. This was uh, Wes Anderson at his most Wes Anderson-y, and I said in my review it was just spectacular. Very, very funny. Wonderfully presented, incredible music, great stories, 
just everything you want to go to the cinema and watch. And I just cannot wait for it to come out so I can uh, sit and watch it again because I'm sure I missed half of what was going on. There was so much going on and it's such a distracting film. You can be watching the visuals, you can watch the cartoon elements, you could be listening to the dialogue. You could be trying to work out what on earth is that in the background and missing things. So it's a film that demands your attention and probably a repeat viewing will be quite easy. Right. Am I allowed to continue, Jeff? Or do you want to put something in there? I haven't seen it due to the fact that I couldn't afford a second mortgage to go to that cinema. Yeah, yeah. Are you still living in your hole in the ground covered by a sheet of tarpaulin? Is that it? Is you a poor poverty person? Absolutely. An aluminium foil on his head. (laughs) (laughs) I watched a a show recently about QAnon, so I know all about that. Ah. Number four, Graham. Number four is The Last Jewel, and I think I've said enough about this film already. It just is so important that people go and see films like this. It's a grown-up movie, grown-up subject matter. It's brutal. It's beautifully filmed. It's fantastically directed. The three leading actors are stunning in this. It's just something that you have to see. It's great stuff. And I, I'd like to see more film like this, um, but I fear that we won't. So um, it made it to Disney Plus oh, Dis- in yes. record time, didn't it, really? But yeah. only in Europe. Not in America. Not in no. America. They won't put anything adult on Disney in America. For, and we had a discussion the other day with our American colleague, Elijah, about this. And he said, nope, they don't allow anything that's slightly hardcore on Disney, even on their stars channel. It's all very clean and squeaky. Really? Mm. Yeah. Which is very strange. Mm. In at number three was the most surprising film I think I've ever watched. I had zero expectations of this. And within 10 minutes, I was rolling on the floor laughing. And it is Cruella. And I thought this was a gem of a movie i just did not expect this i thought this is going to be a live action origin story for a character from a fairly okay-ish children's cartoon but they took it and they dialed it up to 11 with the visuals with the performances with the story it was great and obviously it made a shit ton of money that's a official financial calculation there and uh rock box office mojo say well no no unless you're an accountant doing a participation share and it lost money yeah okay it made enough money for disney to sit up and notice and order another one haven't they yes they have i thought this was the most unexpected film of the year i really enjoyed it and then at number two i have no time to die which i just was so happy to watch it was like yep we're back bond is back and i'm back in the cinema watching it on a big screen and yeah this is the way it should be watched and it was just such a happy time for a film fan as somebody who really enjoys film and has watched james bond since (gasps) uh, goldfinger at the cinema this was definitely in my top five james bond films of all time Uh, Daniel Craig was superb. Again, it was just 
wonderful to sit back and watch it and just let it flow all over you. And again, to 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 Darren's point, here's a two hours and is it thirty six minutes? The longest Bond film ever. Films are, seem to be getting longer because they want to tell that big story, and this story was huge. Really enjoyed that. Can I just chip in and say Graham's yeah. number one is almost as obvious as what I'm going to pick for number one? <laughs> <laughs> yep, you guessed it. At number one, it's what was that film you liked, Jeff, that you had a rant about? Malignant. <laughs> Malignant, yeah. My That's number malignant. one is malignant because Jeff hated well, it. Well, yeah, firstly, you'd have to see it. And the fact that you would never, ever watch it would be <laughs> your undoing. Uh, hoist by your own petard there, Graham, I'm afraid. Yep. Which is a small bomb. But never mind. Is it? Okay. Uh, yes, a petard <laughs> is a small bomb. I do apologize, listeners. This added suspense has nothing to do with me. <laughs> I'm glad it's suspense. Yeah, and it's bloody obvious what my number one is. It's Dune. The film that was made for me. (laughs) Uh, Dune is my uh, number one for obvious reasons. I just loved every second of this. Great director, fantastic cast, uh, and they told the story properly, which made a change for me, and I just loved it. So that's my number one. Nothing more to say about it. It's just great. Okay. It's over to me then. Before I talk about the films of the year, I'd like to talk about the At The Flicks team. We've sacrificed a lot this year to make sure that everybody gets our reviews on top movies. And, you know, does that make that At The Flicks team sad or happy? Well, let's look at this. Neil, clearly he's sad. I mean, that that party he attended last December is now catching up with him. I hope that Secret Santa was worth it, Neil. It was, actually, yeah. It's a lovely present. Phil and Darren, well, they're both happy. We now have a COVID name, Omnicrom, which sounds like it came out of Transformers the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Omnicrom Prime. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's Futurama, isn't it? Omicron Percy A8 is the, oh, is yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. Futurama episode. It is, isn't it? Yeah, How to Kill a Joke. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> By being uh, yeah. funnier than the joke. Yeah, yeah. it has to be yeah. a joke to start with, yeah. Uh, but Graham, he's happy and sad. Happy we had one movie from the Mel this year. I'm sad because Wake and Waldo are not yet available in the UK. (laughs) He's also very happy that the Mel is the star of the TV version of John Wick. As Graham said, and I quote here, he's far better than that Keanu chap. (laughs) Although, obviously, I can't do that in an Irish accent. (laughs) And finally, and he had to be in this episode. Listener Frank is also happy, especially especially when he's thinking of his pinup girl, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Although, I have to say, Frank, if she spurns you, Allegra Stratton has a vacancy for you to fill. (laughs) So, let's move over to our year in film. This is an odd one for me because it's the first time since going to the cinema regularly from 1975 where my film of the year is something I watched on streaming, but not in the cinema. I'm sure Graham's going to say at this point is because I didn't watch that many in the cinema. I watched a fair few, but this one, unfortunately, wasn't available through that outlet. And I think overall, it has been a watershed year. You've got 
cinemas reopening. You know, as Darren said, they're closed for three months. They reopened. You had joint releasing, and you've got shortened cinema windows. And that, I think, is something that's, that's going to stay. We are now going to have to get used to that. If you miss it in a cinema, don't worry, because a month later you'll catch it on Disney Plus Prime or whatever. And if cinema as we know it is going to end, I think this is the watermark year. This is the one where you will point to say that what we did before is not what we're going to do after. However, that said, I did get back to the cinema, and I'm very pleased to say that the first film I saw when I went back was the excellent Peter Rabbit 2. You are kidding. He also is in some parallel dimension because cinemas were shut for nearly five months, not three. Oh, okay. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> well, when you're, when you're old, days pass quicker. It's not in the top five, is it? Well, let's see then, shall we? Who, oh, are, then, you? Who are you and what have you done with Jeff? Look, it came back. We had this up and down year. Superhero movies still seem to be unbreakable. Black Widow, Feng Shui, and Eternals all racked up big money. And at least one of those had a joint release while one of them did. Netflix with Mank, Prime, I Care a Lot, and One Night in Miami, and Disney with Soul. They've started to put out really top quality product. And I do pick up on a point of fill here is that Sky have much more misses than hits with their, their films that they're putting out. Good mm, point. Uh, definitely. Yeah. I think another point of note from this year, Zack Snyder finally delivered his Justice League. Next step, put him back in charge of DC and finish his vision. I think overall blockbusters this year had more thought and intelligence behind them. I think Free Guy, Cruella and Quiet Place 2, very intelligent and fun films that worked on a number of levels. Interesting, again, that horror remains a staple. And once COVID has finally been absorbed and we came out the other side i think horror will continue to be a big outlet for people's feelings on what's happened in the last two years but this year we've had the country in two halloween kills freaky and last night in soho three out of those four were big hits unfortunately probably the best of them wasn't for my director of the year i would say joe carnahan i was very impressed with both boss level and cop shop Although I know Graham particularly was impressed with boss level for reasons I won't go into here. Didn't even appear in my top 20, though Cop Shop did. Yeah, there we go. Mm, Cop Shop would have been through my top 22. Thank you both for talking over my top five of the year. Oh, good. Like um, you uh, never uh, do uh, anything uh, for us. <laughs> like us. Jesus. Pot, kettle, black, <laughs> Jeff. Bloody um, hell. So overall, 2021 was a much better year than 2020. But I don't think 2022 will be as good looking at the releases coming next year. Looks disappointing. We don't know, do we? Let's talk on my top five films of the year. Undoubtedly the best, but here we go. So in fifth position, Dune. I think it's Villeneuve's best movie to date, which isn't difficult because he's not an emotional film director. He's an intellectual film director and that's what Dune needed. And he brought out a lot of the depth of the book and the look of the film. I said it when my review, the Thopters were everything I imagined from reading that book as one example. And there are many of that. This film had everything going against it. It had been filmed and flopped before. It had a joint HBO Max release in the States. And yet it beat all of that and has done really well. And people are going back. And again, we've spoken to Elijah about his films of the year. You know, Elijah watched it on HBO Max, but then made sure he went to watch it in the cinema. 
and that was happening all over the state so that's really good my biggest disappointment on dune is that they didn't have the courage to film part two alongside mm. part one mm. but it is a film you live in and i think it is really good Villeneuve, keep taking the tablets mate you're going to be a good director one day right so number four <laughs> dream horse now i've got a personal <laughs> oh <laughs> This is the only Welsh film that came out. Would you believe it? It's got the Welsh national anthem in it. We'll talk about the music in a moment. <laughs> now, I've got a, obviously I've got a personal connection through my sister and brother-in-law to to the story that went on. So it was fun to see that up on screen. I think that the British do underdog stories better than anyone else in the world. I don't know why. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. And I think that this really pulled it off. It had great characters, Tony Collette and Damon Lewis. I thought, what well, excellent. Never took the easy way out with a character. I mean, Owen Teal's character of Brian it could have been somebody that faded into the background, mm. but he mm-hmm. made that character live. And I go back, when we were reviewing this, there's something that Darren said that really stuck with me when he was speaking about you know the excitement of the, the races and that moment where you didn't see what happened to the race. You knew something bad had happened, but you didn't know what it was. And it created that tension to it. Uh, Darren, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know that that what you were saying really stayed with me because that's exactly what I felt when I was watching the film. Yeah, definitely. It was just that she's following the race in the binoculars and it goes through like a blind yes. spot. And when it comes out the other side, the horse isn't there. Yeah. And you just know that be a basically yes. something bad is yeah, and it's just it's just a, a absolutely horror moment. Yeah, that that mm. bit to me that that still I still remember every little bit about that mo- that moment because it was just so, it led yeah. to so much tension. Yeah, and when, yes, and when you spoke about it, it really resonated with me. So I think the whole thing is great, and as Phil said about the Welsh national anthem, but also it's got the best Welsh karaoke track of any movie you'll see this side of Zulu. It's just heartwarming joy it's a great film and i think in a year that hasn't been the best for many people i think it's a film to give encouragement so that's why i put it at number four number three and i go in exactly at the same place that graham has with this cruella a blockbuster with real heart and skill the characterizations are excellent emma stone and emma thompson i thought were both incredible but all the cast were great but what i really loved about it what raised this film up for me it's had a 70s ideology, this punk sensibility to it in the dress sense and everything that people felt at that time, I think it captured. The music choices were inspired, wonderful, and insane. You'd have The Clash, and then the next minute you have Ken Dodd. I just hope that they get the, the same cast and crew back for the sequel because I, I just think all this film needed to have raised it up probably to number two was a reference to that 70s classic, Thank God It's Friday. And it <laughs> has been the perfect 70s throwback. Number two, Nomadland. Ooh. I think this is a modern-day Grapes <laughs> of Wrath. High <laughs> on your list, Phil, isn't it? Eh? I can I'm, I'm on videos, so the guys are laughing because they saw me wince. <laughs> <laughs> Greatness sometimes takes a time to be discovered. I can understand that. Um, <laughs> Why don't you patronise him some more? Go on. 
It's just what he needs. He's about to hang himself, you know. But no, it's, tip him over the edge, Jeff. It is a modern day grapes of wrath, and I I stand by the way that this captures a society within a society. They're not homeless, but they're not far from it. Chloe Zhao, before she sold a soul, captured a really <laughs> poignant view of the world. It's just deeply moving, but it's so gentle in mm. the way that it sort of covers these characters. And you actually see in this film, if you watch it, is this genesis of what put Trump into the White House and caused mm. a number mm. of the problems that are going on now. You know, it has great love of its characters. It is a sobering experience. And it stayed with me for a long time after after watching it. And it is one on my list to watch again early next year. So my top film. And as I said, it's the first time ever that it's a film I didn't see in the cinema. And it's I Care A Lot, which I thought was yeah. tremendous. And, you know, it shows my feminist side, Lance. I, I've got to be <coughs> honest there. Um, it's the really? same. She's a bitch as well. <laughs> oh, a strong female, female moral lead. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I a, good, I good one, Jeff. Yeah. No, it's the second year in a row where my top film has centred on a female protagonist. Last year, my best film was Bombshell, and I think these strong roles for women in films now is, is tremendous. And this is—it's like an acid film seventies throwback, really. Rosamund Pike, who had always thought of as, you know, posh girl made good, really. But she's brilliant and shown to me she can really act now. I wasn't that impressed with her in Gone Girl, but this was amazing. Again, I said about Darren earlier when I mentioned the film, and something Phil said stayed with me as well from his review about this film, where he said, it's a film where you wanted the Russian mafia to kill the lead character. Mm. <laughs> and yeah. to actually have... The balls to do that, to make a character so hateful as your centre character that you want something even more evil to kill her off was just incredible. I think British director Jay Blakeson, who previously had made The Disappearance of Alice Creed, I didn't really like that one, but I think this time he gets the tone just right. It's a grown-up movie, and I thought it was a fantastic coup for Prime to pick this up and put it on. So that's my top films of the year. I just also want to give a final shout out, composer of the year, Hans Zimmer, for Dune and No Time to Die. Well done, Hans. Great scores. I'm so sure he's noted that, Jeff. <laughs> well, well, I mean, it, comes, it comes from Jeff, the radical feminist. So, yeah, he must have noticed that. <laughs> just stop knocking my feminine side. <laughs> Sorry? Is it me? It is you, Neil, yeah. Totally good. Well, I'm going to say it's an odd year again, like everybody else has. <laughs> it is an odd it's year. Right. Two, two of my top five were from the streaming services. I kind of stopped going to the cinema unless I needed to for reviews. I, I am slowly catching up, and there's the buzz for a new uh, cinema release is returning. But um, I've really just got out of the habit. I don't think it was anything more than that because I can go in the morning, I can go lunchtime. I just didn't do it. I'm going to make a concerted effort to do it um, as soon as possible, and I really need to see the new Bond film as uh, Graham's been going on about it. Top five. You always pack in that nonsense game golf. Yeah, well, no. 
the top five are, but, but four of them are interchangeable. Quite frankly, the the first one is always going to be the first one. I think. So I'm going to go. The first oh, one God. is in, in number five is uh, Mitchell's versus the Machines. Uh, originally Yay. originally reviewed as one of Darren's dashes. Uh, this is my animated film of the year by a long shot. And I think it was just the fact that it released from the seemingly endless third lockdown. Uh, it Perhaps it was the wonderful animation. Maybe it's because it's genuinely funny. Maybe it was just the 10 seconds of family eye contact. It was just hilarious. It, whatever it was, this Lord and Mirror produced film is an absolute blast. Fun, vibrant, silly, exciting, satirical in places with an excellent father-daughter conflict running through it. Thank you, Netflix. On to number four, been mentioned before, Promising Young Woman. Another one that stayed with me, Emerald Fennell's Oscar-winning script and uh, a very, very uh, uh, well-directed film. Kerry Mulligan as Cassie, a tour de force display. The opening 10 minutes are incredible. Uh, Chapter by chapter, we learn what happened in the past and the chance information for Cassie to exact revenge. It's gripping, tense, and thought-provoking. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. A revenge thriller that took me by surprise and a balanced thriller for our times. Absolutely superb film. Number three. Well, Last Night in Soho, a horror film. Yeah, I'm a horror movie. A horror film in my films of the year. Just ridiculous. Whatever next. I mean, this was in... more of them, Neil. No, not likely. This one was in my head for weeks after. Edgar Wright, take a bow. Um, the excellent Thomasin McKenzie dancing in a newspaper dress right the way through to the final click at which I jumped. Uh, I was hooked. And Taylor Joy, fantastic, as, as was Dinah Rigg and Matt Smith. But Soho, he brought it to life, which was not what I really wanted to see. That was the horror for me. Um, a cesspit of 60s excess where young women's dreams went to die, including possibly, quite probably, Eloise's mother. As a backdrop, I wasn't ready for it and had the superb collection of 60s music to match the tone of the film. I take another bow, Mr. Wright. I think that honestly could have, could have been number two, but in number two, Graham's going to like me this one, Dune. The blockbuster of the year for me, mm. and considering the scale and the complexity, the politics and the naked ambition, and I, and I had a Lord of the Rings moment. First time I watched the Fellowship of the Ring, and the, the end came after over God knows how many hours. Um, I just wanted more, and the same with Dune. I was disappointed when it finished. And what was it? Two and three quarter, two and a half hours. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Denny Villeneuve, John Spates, and Eric Roth have created a script that whittles down an apparently impossible book to film, well, I've not read it, but into a space opera that's vast and yet detailed. Roll on Chapter 2. Let's hope they do it. They are doing Chapter 2, aren't yes, they? Yes, they are. Oh, thank goodness. And so Part 1 has some jaw-dropping scale. Fingers crossed for the rest of it. And number one, The Father. This one got to me, I have to say. This one really genuinely disturbed me. I haven't seen old family members going through this sort of thing. Anthony Hopkins, a towering performance, very, very um, deserving of his Oscar. Olivia's Coleman and Williams are excellent as they bear the brunt of his anger and his, uh, his confusion. 
not often does a film stick with me as long as this one did. And I went in not knowing anything about it and each turn and twist. I, at one point it appeared to be a psychological thriller and then it was, and this, this ending is so sad. I mean, I was in floods of tears. Yeah. Zeller, Zeller and um, the screenplay by um, Florian Zeller uh, from his own stage play and uh, Christopher Hampton twists the narrative this way and that, and it's all within the confines of a flat. And it works. It's fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. So that's my number one. Well, thank you for that. My pleasure. Last but certainly not least, <laughs> Phil. <laughs> I hope not. You've all kind of alluded to it. I'll probably talk about it a bit more. I just think that this year is the year that film and watching films just really changed. I don't think it's just for the mass market. I, I think, like, you, know, you all know that I go and see over 100 films at the cinema every year. I just feel out of touch now. I can't keep up. So this year, for the first sort of five months of the year, I spent an inordinate amount of money on video on demand to try and keep up and watch films that were like at the back end of last year. At the beginning of the year, I spent loads of money on video on demand. I've had an Apple TV subscription, Sky Cinema subscription, a Netflix subscription, a Disney Plus subscription, and all that video on demand stuff. And I can't keep up. I just, there's so many films that are being thrown onto these streaming services or films that sort of pop into the cinema for a week and then they're gone. And I've seen over 200 films this year. When when we were talking about doing this list, I came up with a long list of of 42 films that I was trying to work into a top five, top 10, et cetera. But I could also come up with at least 20 films that I know I, that you know, have had rave reviews, or you know, just to come out, just sort of squeaking before the end of the year, or that had a limited release but had rave reviews, and I've not seen them all. And I find it really frustrating that it kind of worked that way, and, I, and I'm hoping it's going to sort of even out and level out in some way. But the the 45 day cinema release window is also stressing me out because it feels like films are only going to last for a couple of weeks because if in six weeks time they're on a streaming service, it feels like, you know, you've got to try and catch them when you can. So yeah, I find it all a bit weird. We had five months, nearly five months of cinema closures. Um, I'm not as apprehensive about going back to the cinema as you know Darren mentioned. I go as much as I can. I've seen over 60 films at the cinema since they reopened at the end of May the other sort of 140 are on streaming services. But yeah, I'm kind of interested in how it's going to pan out, whether it's going to sort of settle down into more sort of cinema first streaming later. And the streaming services really need to do something about, you know, the way that films land on their services and then just get forgotten. Because if you don't watch them on, you know, the opening weekend, so for example, Red Notice on Netflix is a big blockbuster you know, budgeted film with big, um, big names. Talked about it tons and tons just before it came out. I didn't watch it opening weekend. Nobody's talked about it since. And I keep forgetting that it actually exists because it's buried in, you know, the Netflix sort of ether somewhere. So that's my kind of feeling on, on sort of what's happened with films and stuff. Um, I do fear for cinemas because quite a lot of people I speak to are just like, well, 
be on Disney in six weeks, so I'll, I'll just wait. So yeah, that's a worry. We'll see how mm. that pans out. Mm. And, and also, the one thing I was going to say, I, I'll get to it in a second. But uh, and my wince from earlier is the Oscars got it wrong again. It's not the first time they got it wrong. No, it's brilliant they, choice. They get it wrong again. I was going to mention some of the films that I haven't seen, but there's there's too many. I wrote a list of about twenty, so I won't get into it. I'm sure that some of them, if I can squeeze them in, might have a say in my top ten, top twenty, or what have you. But I'll try to find a, a time to download them um, via Apple whatever streaming services got them for £3.50 or whatever when I can. So I'll jump into my top five. So at number five, drum roll, um, three of you have already mentioned it, Dune. Um, I mean, it's all we've all, we talked about it in the recent review show and you've all already mentioned it. So I'm just going to say it's epic science fiction. It's massive scope, fantastic script that navigates the complexity of that book. Um, and there's some just amazing performances in there by, much to Jeff's upset, a fantastic film director who's done some <laughs> amazing films. <laughs> no, no, he, he's, he's almost finished his apprenticeship now, I think. <laughs> God, okay, so uh, number four um, has also been mentioned by a couple of people and absolutely, hands down, based on just what was selected in the uh, last year's Oscar nominations, should have won Best Picture and Best Actress, and that is Promising Young Woman. How Carey Mulligan did not win Best Actress, I just do not know. I would and agree with you on that, actually. The, I, uh, yeah, she should have mm, won Best Actress. And I won't get into another argument with Jeff about the yawn fest that is No Man Land, No Man Land winning. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, so Promising Young Woman is... It's just incredibly funny, but incredibly dark. Um, and mm. Darren's kind of mentioned it. It manages to sit on this knife edge of just being uplifting and laugh out loud funny and just terribly depressingly dark. And I think that's why it makes such an impact in terms of the message that it's trying to get across. It also features, and I think I said this in the review, what I think is already a classic scene, which is Paris Hilton's Stars Are Blind, one of the worst pop songs ever made, turned into one of the most classic love scenes uh, in film where they have a dance in the, uh, uh, the corner shop whilst they're shopping. I thought it was amazing. So number three, and this is the one that my wife will hate me for, but she, ne- she, she never listens to the show, so it doesn't matter, guys. Um, <laughs> it's The Green Knight. Oh, the um, Green Knight, <laughs> And I think I mentioned in my review, my, my wife about halfway through this just got a phone out and said, why are you watching this rubbish or something along that line? Well, yeah. Why, why do you watch films <laughs> about losers who don't do anything? Yeah, yes, that's precisely, yeah. Which goes alongside Inside Lewin Davis, which is one of my all-time oh, favourite films, which she friend. described <laughs> in exactly the same manner. So, I, And I know that some people hate it. I know Jeff hates it. And I, I know it. that people hate it. And that's fine. But that's why we like film, right? Because there are certain things that we will tune into um, in the same way that Neil just said that Father really tapped into something emotionally within him. For me, The Green Knight is one of these films that I can just luxuriate in. It looks beautiful. It's slow and steady. It's just got this atmosphere that I just I just adore. I can sit and watch it and just... It doesn't matter necessarily that it's going to get anywhere, but what I did love is 
this whole idea of myths and legends and how stories are embellished in the telling and that final kind of moment about, you know, is this a story? What's the story exactly? And, you know, what's going on? I just loved it. I think it is just one of those films that it will be a Marmite movie. And for me, it's just one that I loved. Yeah, I hate Marmite as well. <laughs> I don't like Marmite, actually. I think it's disgusting. I love Marmite. It's uh, my wife does like that. So there we go. Hey. Right, so my number two movie, none of you have mentioned it. And I think this is possibly a bit left field. And I've watched this film end to end four times. And I've watched bits and pieces of it multiple other times. And that's because it's streaming. And I love it so much. It's kind of like a comfort thing that if I've got to make dinner or something like that, I'll put my iPad in the corner and I'll stick this film on. And I might be sort of three quarters of the way through it and just play from where I am and what have you. And that's Palm Springs. Oh, yeah, that's on my top 20. I adore this film. I think, controversial opinion, this is better than Groundhog Day. If you want to like do this rating of, you know, these time loop films and all the rest of it, and you want to, you know, Groundhog Day is a great comedy, but if I'm going to be forced, I'd watch this over Groundhog Day now. It's got so many layers. It's so funny. It's really romantic as well, and I'm a, a soppy git at heart, so... Yeah, I love it. I think that everyone should watch it. It's a real shame it didn't, you know, come out at the cinema. It didn't. It got a massive delay in release. I think a lot of Americans will be like, "That came out last year," but for us, we had to wait. I think to April till it yeah. came along. So, and then my number one, Graham. Can you guess what it is? Oh, the French Dispatch. <laughs> the French Dispatch. It's a shock, isn't it? You are all very, very shocked. The Wes Anderson aficionado slash fanboy who loves the Wes Anderson film. Shocking, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. brilliant, isn't it? I mean, it's Wes it's Anderson brilliant. dialed up to 11. As you just said, the Wes anderson Wes Anderson film of all. There's four hilarious stories in there. They take you to crazy places. You know, it's just beautiful to look at. It's full of this wry, bizarre humour that he does. Yeah, I love it. And this is why I like these top fives, because... A couple of these films, I know that people won't like, but you know, I think that it's just phenomenal. It makes me happy. And it's kind of that thing of why I love to watch movies, because sometimes you can stick a film on and everything else kind of fades away and you're just mesmerised by this genius that's up on screen. And for me, The French Dispatch just absolutely encapsulates that. Yeah, it's interesting to note that all five of us have picked five different films as our number one. Yeah, I was uh, quite surprised at some of the picks. And none of us picked the same film either. So so June got picked the most, but nobody, uh, I think Darren didn't pick June. So there's not a single film that all of us picked either. Uh, yeah, and I'll talk about our overall top five in a minute because I had to do some calculation on that. Yeah, just to pick up on that, they, uh, that is interesting. I mean, I noticed that in my top 20, I'd got almost every single one. Yeah. Of the ones yeah, yeah. that you, oh. you'd picked. You know, yeah, so well, I'd got The Father in there at number eight. I got yeah. Promising Young Woman at seven, yeah. Nomad Land at six. Palm Springs at eleven. Yeah. Um, French Dispatch, Cop Shop, all the So do you know what in, in you know when I said I had my there. and I I promised I'll send you a photograph of my scribble pad where I had my, my long list. I think there's three films picked out of these 25. Um, obviously, I picked five of those, but three out of the 20 that weren't on my long list. Possibly, I think it might have been two, actually. 
guess who picked both those two? Jeff. <laughs> You're just not connecting to your radical feminist side, like uh, Jeff is. Yeah, that's right. Right. Um, the running theme is that, that I, Jeff and I disagree quite strongly on certain films. <laughs> yes, yeah, which is uh, part of the fun of it. So before I reveal to you what our overall top five are, and trust me, it took a bit of calculation, which I'll explain in a minute, but we're going to return to Darren for a final shout-out. What was your Darren's Dash film of the year? Well, this was a, a really tough one because when I do the Dash, I always pick films that... I like and recommend them unless it's a film which is like everyone loves that I absolutely hate and need to give it a kick in like say The Lighthouse this year these were all films I absolutely loved it was a close one because Riders of Justice was one I really loved and almost got in there The Columnist uh, which is on the Channel 4's streaming service at the moment was another film which I thought was really funny and great but the film that I picked and I picked it because I think it encapsulates everything that the dash is what I um, I like it to be in the fact that basically finding films which are a surprise and, and wonderful. And it's um, it's Pig, uh, which is uh, directed by Michael Samowski, starring Nicholas Page. Yeah, Nicholas Page. Nicholas Cage. <laughs> and if you don't know, it's basically the, the story of Nicholas Cage is a guy who's uh, living out in the woods. He's cut himself off from civilization. And he scrapes a living by hunting um, really rare truffles, which he uh, does by uh, employs a, a pig, which is his companion, to find truffles so he can sell these to really fancy restaurants in the city. And then one night, someone breaks into his house and steals his pig. And so he sets off into the city to track it down and get his pig back. And the thing is about this film is it's a complete surprise because from that story, you would think you're going to get a John Wick movie. And you don't. You get a really heartwarming, but also satirical critique about culture. Absolutely wonderful film. I still maintain my, my original idea that this is kind of a a more positive version of Fight Club, because it has a lot of the Fight Club type elements to it. There are some scenes which very much mirror stuff that happens in Fight Club. It's not about being toxic. It's about being good to other people. And trying and try to live your own life. I think a lot of people will watch this film and get completely different ideas on, on what. On, and I hope most people like it, but I think people will, will take from it very different things. I have, I have my own opinions. I think anyone else will have different ones. But I thought this was an absolutely wonderful film. It was surprising. And the thing about this film is it proves that the movie business can still bring something which is heartwarming, tender, but also just sort of like, you know, really intelligent. And also the fact that it's Nicolas Cage who, frankly, you know, and I like Nicolas Cage, but he does seem to have become a journeyman for just sort of, you know, weird, erratic movies. Like Willy's Wonderland, for example. <laughs> you know, he does pick weird movies to take a paycheck from. This was one that he really showed that he was still a, you know, a credible actor. I would hope there will be some sort of push to get him uh, an Oscar nomination for this. Whether he gets it or not, I, I doubt, because I don't think it would have the, the right amount of push. But I think it's a, an absolutely wonderful performance and just a, a really different film and just something that, of all the films this year, you know, this one you know really stay, stayed with me as a, just an amazing movie. Excellent. Yeah. All right, we'll so that. Three yeah. of your films made it into my top 20. 
Riders of Justice, Oxygen, and Pig, and all of those came from the Dash. So thank you, Darren. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very valuable. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I could uh, steer you there. And the Dash returns in February, which we're all looking forward to. So this is the moment you've all been waiting for, the combined films of the year for the At The Flicks team. Now, this was a pain in the ass to put together, to be quite honest, because there's one clear winner, and those paying attention will have already picked up on something Phil said. But the next four tied on the number of points. So I actually yeah. I'm interested e, in your tie-breaking yeah, decisions. Well, no, I, I use mathematics, Phil. Well, e got, I, I, yeah, but I, there's mathematics, but there's like three different ways you could t- change. You could do the tie-breaking. Uh, yeah, yep, yeah, yeah, quantum, mate, quantum. Quantum. <laughs> um, uh, you don't even know so what that means. Can't spell it. <laughs> Come on, Jeff. Let's hear it. Oh, sorry, right? Yeah, you're getting cocky now. Frank's getting nearer. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I am. <laughs> yeah. So, in fifth place, last night in Soho, Edgar Wright's "Ode to the London of the 1960s" with one of the best compilation soundtracks of the year. Yep. In fourth place, Cruella, Disney's blockbuster, certainly uh, had an impact on our team. In third place, The French Dispatch. Nice for all those that saw it in the exorbitant pricing oh, method shut that up. some of our cinemas. Self-righteous in. dick. But, um, yeah, you know, <laughs> I am looking forward to seeing it. I like Wes Anderson's live-action stuff, so I'm looking really forward to that. Anyway, second, Promising Young Woman. Mm-hmm. Came in, and uh, like everybody else, great Carrie Mulligan. And it's no surprise that, number one, with a bullet, Dune. I think if you'd used the correct tie-breaking procedures, French Dispatch would have been number two. Or the, the tie-breaker that you wanted. Well, okay. <laughs> let me let me explain how that scoring worked. Three people voted for Promising Young Woman. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, gathered, I gathered. But but French Dispatch got a higher vote, so... From one person, yes. Yeah. I know, and, and there's a significant weight there, right? Don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's going weightings now, right? Uh, me, <laughs> Yeah. Oh dear! But Just yeah. rooting for my boy. That's all. Yeah, <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. That's fine. But you also voted for Dune. Everybody uh, rated Dune except Darren. I'm ashamed. <laughs> <laughs> so that was at the flicks films of the year 2021. So if you agree with them or don't agree with them, please drop us a note or. Even phone us up if you can see our numbers and let us know what you think. (laughs) And now, a word from our sponsor. Graham? Thank you. As for next month, it is our... We will be announcing our awards for 2021, including my favourite, the award for the best Mel Gibson film of 2021. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Jeff. And we will also talk about some of the talented film folk who sadly passed away in 2021. And we look forward to what we would like to see in 2022. So, gentlemen, I can safely announce that's a wrap and another At The Flicks is in the can. Right, i got to dash show you. Listener Frank is on his way to the studio. <laughs> <laughs> you brought this on yourself, Jeff. And to everyone else... Thanks for listening and have a happy new year.
need to see it in your eyes. You never met Harkonnens before. I have. They're not human. They're brutal. You have to be ready 